We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We want to make sure that because of the results of what happened last year in that game, how do we prevent that really from happening again? You know, like, is, are we, and that's the mental side. Like, did we, was he so focused on rehabbing back that it took away from the mental part of the game? Or was it just the game? And that's where, the, where we need to collaborate here in the next 24 or 48 hours and say, we feel good. Because if we feel good about it and we want to do it, there's no looking back. Bears coach Matt Nagy collaborating as we speak, I would imagine, about the quarterback, about the game plan, about how not to look like a team that got manhandled, destroyed, ruined by the Raiders. The autumn wind is a pirate, and it ripped the Bears apart. Welcome and welcome back. Saturday suckage. We're going to the Alpamani Ford Hotline. Alpamani Ford, 500 new and used vehicles to choose from. We choose to talk to Jay Hilgenberg, part of the WBBM pregame, postgame, in-game, halftime bear show. You'll hear him tomorrow with the inevitable Ron Gleason and the wonderful Jim Schwantz. Jay, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thank you. How are you guys doing? We're, we're good. We're doing good. We have questions about the Bears' offensive line. With the news about Kyle Long is that it was sort of – it seemed like mixed – Mixed emotions of, I'm really sorry the guy had to go out this way, but thank God the guy went out because he wasn't playing like that guy. What were your views on what happened with Kyle Long and the Bears offensive line the last three weeks? Yeah, I I, I feel bad for Kyle because you're really torn as a as a player, and, and I know he, he's a leader up there that he feels like there's some pressure that – you know, he has to show a toughness to go out there and play when you're not 100%. But, I mean, clearly, you know, we've all seen Kyle Long play, and he's a dominant player when he's 100%. And he just he just couldn't achieve it this year. So, it, it, uh, in the long run, I mean, it's going to be a good move for the, for the Bears, and hopefully it's a good move for Kyle. You know, he doesn't need to – I was just – I was scared he's going to get injured again uh, severely the way he was playing. He just – didn't have any like uh, knee bend or or any type of getting tried to get leverage on guys and somebody's going to fall in the back of his legs again and it, it would have been ugly. So I, I think it's a good thing. Um, you know, hopefully Kyle still wants to play ball or you know he's finding an opportunity or a situation he doesn't really need to. But if he wants to, um, I know he loves the game that he can continue on. Uh, but first, he has to get healthy. It's a long career in the NFL for Jay Hilgenberg from 81 to 93, part of five in a row division champions for the Bears from 84 to 88. Got five years in a row, they led the league in time of possession. Hello. Yeah. Golden years. Yeah, the golden years. How about it, man? <laughs> Pro Bowl starter for seven, seven seasons. I mean, come on. How did you last so long? How did you stay healthy, Jay? Um, you know, I was. we, we were really taught by uh, – uh, great coaches and uh, just played with really proper uh, technique and fundamentals. And um, we had to know 
like what everybody was doing on the field at all times. So if, if, if Jimbo was coming blocking down, I know I knew there was usually going to be a defensive end that was going to come flying inside really fast. So it's just just being aware and uh, and I, I'm just I, I'm lucky, you know, genetically. I think I was pretty lucky to to stay healthy uh, well, all those years. Well, he comes from a family of offensive linemen, uh, <laughs> right? Bunch exactly. of, bunch of centers in the family. We used to joke that they're all walking down the street together, snapping the ball cheek between their cheek. legs. Cheek cheek. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, my dad actually went to University of Iowa as a quarterback, but they didn't have anybody that could snap as a single wing as a freshman. So they just he he could do it. So as soon as you start snapping the ball like that, you're stuck there. So wow. I told I I used to tell McMahon all the time that uh, he is lucky that my dad got moved to center in college or he would have been my backup all these years at the Bears. <laughs> that's how it happens. And we appreciate you joining us while the Iowa game is on. Yeah. Jay, right. That's, yeah, that's, right. Uh, that's, that's, that's a big deal. Um, it's just, I mean, the last couple of years versus Purdue, it is. And now, you mentioned like sort of knowing where everybody is as the offensive lineman and that ballet. And Kyle obviously wasn't super experienced as an offensive lineman by the time he right. got to the NFL. But in general, do offensive lines these days, are they more about mauling than they are about technique? Uh, right. You're right. You know, it's that zone step, that zone read step. It's just they they allow these guys – They you don't see the knee bend or the way that we used to come off the ball and get I, – I always call it getting quick leverage on a guy. I mean, you – got to be like a boxer you got to you got to hit him use the snap count as a weapon and go out and hit him and get quick leverage on the guy and then just you know move your feet and run with them and um, nowadays you see guys we dick stanfield our line coach used to call it the ice hooks you know the the old ice men that had those hooks around the ice cube big mm-hmm. huge ice cubes they'd carry that's what these guys do now with their arms they just ice hook these guys on the shoulder around the shoulders and just stand up and um, uh, stand up with them. You know, a stalemate nowadays is acceptable for offensive line block. When we played, you had to drive the guy two, three yards off the ball to have a successful block. Well, a stalemate would have been happy for the Bears' offensive and defensive lines in their last right. game against the Raiders. And to see what what is it like as a lineman when you get so dominated like that and how do how do these bears respond when a game built on that kind of strength and I don't know manhood and being tougher than the next guy was openly destroyed? How do you respond? Right, I, you know, you know, you know what popped in my head right there when you're talking about a offensive line getting destroyed was uh, one of our night games out in San Francisco. We were playing the the Forty ers and I think we finally crossed midfield like in the fourth quarter <laughs> when, when they had the second-team defense in. As soon as we crossed midfield, they brought the first-team defense back in and sacked uh, Harbaugh, so we were back on the other line. But, oh. you know, it, it's, it's embarrassment. I think as a professional athlete, you go out there and get embarrassed like that. You know, that next week, all the attentions, the details, and everything like that is a little tighter. You, you're a little more concentrated. Um, you're a little worried about your career too back in those days, but well, that it, ought to be the you know, case. It just amazes me, though. I mean, we all love the Bears so much, so we just ride this roller coaster. I mean, everything was great when they were three and one after that Vikings game. You mm-hmm. know, everything was good, but you know that trip trip to London, lose that game. It's just it's been a tough two weeks here. We're talking with Jay Hilgenberg.
Bear Center on the '85 team, the one that accomplished, the one that brought the the loneliest trophy in Chicago to <laughs> Hallis Hall. It's still there, and and we had a discussion earlier, Jay. I'll bring you into this, and and it, it involved Mitch Trubisky, a rep based quarterback coming off injury, a rep based learner, according to his own learner. coach, right? And it, it, wow. he said it. His coach backs it up, and and now he's. He's not had many reps because right. he has been hurt. Last time he came off an injury, they were worried about his mental state. They didn't know if it was responding to the injury last year against the Rams or reading defenses, whether he completely lost sight of wherever he was in the book of progress and he threw three interceptions against a good Rams defense. This is a good Saints defense. And in the course of discussion earlier, Matt said that, that Ryan Pace's goal, Nagy's, pay, Nagy's goal has to be knowing whether he can develop into a pocket quarterback. And I said, if the Packers want you to be a pocket quarterback, if they want you to play quarterback because they know you can't, then my goal, my my option would be to make you roll out to bootleg, put Mitch on the run where he's more accurate. And Matt says, well, we need to know by the end of next year whether we should extend him. And I said, I need to know if you can win a Super Bowl with this defense this year, because this is the only Super Bowl you can win right now, how would you respond to that? Yeah. Um, you know, as a player, I, 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 I get the sense of urgency. You want to win right now. You don't care about next year or next week. Um, I mean, that's the ultimate goal is the Super Bowl at the end of the year. But um, I, I'm kind of, I, I believe um, that you know, coaching, strong coaching is you, you look at the talent you got and you work around it. And I think Mitch is a, a great athlete and his biggest, I think his biggest asset right now as a player is, is his legs, his athletic ability. So um, he needs, I think he needs to move and run. I, I, I agree with you. Um, like, you know, it's, it's the Russell Wilson. He, he, he ran a bunch, you know, his rookie year. It was Earl Acker's last game. He tore his hamstring uh, uh, chasing after Russell Wilson. So, and, and as far as a, a rep guy, I mean, that's 98% of us football players are, are rep guys. We, I, I've said on the air before, you got your classroom guys that can sit in the classroom and get it in. But um, most of us guys uh, excelled at recess growing up. So. <laughs> if only they uh, they had some practice games that didn't count where you could get some reps, maybe. Well, Jay. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I, I, I think they should play. I, I think they should play. I, the first year I went along with it, and um, I disagreed with it, but after that Packer game, Last year, you know, I agreed. I was all aboard. But this year, I, I really think that, that it was a missed opportunity uh, because you, you have a rookie running back also that didn't play, mm-hmm. uh, a switch on that offensive line that didn't play. And, you know, I, I know the argument is that you, you want to have your guys not get hurt or something like that. But, you know, I want to build a football team that's going to hurt the other guys. So I'm, I'm not going to worry about – I wouldn't worry about my guys getting hurt. But so, it plays into. But it play. I just wanted to follow up. It play in the locker room. You have you have guys that you've you've talked about winning is is it. It's all that's what it's all about. You have to make your team believe there's one goal. The object of the exercise is right. winning the Super Bowl. It can't be about just one guy, even if he plays the most important position on the team. They all feel that they have to contribute to winning a. And it's more acute now right. without Akeem Hicks that I think. Negi and Pace run a run a 
are taking a big risk by not making sure that that for now Mitch Trubisky does what's best for that team and that defense to put that team in a position to win the division and not have to play another wild card game and not put themselves at the mercy of of a goalpost and do everything they can to win a Super Bowl with this kind of defense that that resounds in a in a locker room, doesn't it? Right. No, I, I agree with you. You have to have that whole locker room buying in. I mean, to be a successful team, I, I get that more now that I'm out of the NFL than uh, as when I played. Is that it, it's so important to have that whole locker room. The one goal, as, as you're saying, it, to be that Super Bowl. And and I understand that if they're trying to evaluate um, Mitchell at the quarterback position. That that would be frustrating as a player. It, it certainly would be. So it, it's a, it's a fine line that uh, I think Nagy and Pace uh, got to play. But you know, I I just I'm convinced those two guys on Sundays uh, that all they care about is that Bears victory. So uh, you just you got to do whatever you got to do what Mitchell's strengths are. That's why I, I that's why I hope if he plays, I hope he's 100 percent because he needs to run and needs to get hit and kind of throw his body around a little bit to. I believe to be a successful quarterback. I, I, you know, that's somehow, you know, Devin Hester, great player. You didn't need to coach him a whole lot. Just throw him out in the field. I, I think uh, Mitchell could have a little bit of that in him too. Hmm. Um, AJ, I want to ask you about running the ball out of the shotgun. Uh, two years ago, the numbers for Jordan Howard were really, really good out of the shotgun. So then when Matt Nagy's offense came here, I'm like, well, that's gonna, it could be interesting, even though Jordan's not a classic guy for this offense. He's good out of the shotgun. Well, he was brutal out of the shotgun last year. And then they were a lot better when they lined up under center with Howard. Right. Now this year, David Montgomery looks really kind of slow and brutal out of the shotgun. Is it system? more end or line working together more than it is the running backs themselves. Why do those runs out of the shotgun look like they develop so slow now, two years in a row to my eyes? Yeah. You know, I, I I'm not a big fan of run, running out of the shotgun. I, you know, it looks like, you know, the bears don't have a fullback a lot of times either. And um, I, I, if you want to have that power running attack, you're, you're, you're better running the ball with a quarterback underneath the center because the center can come off the ball. You know, you can snap that snap faster to the quarterback, and you can, you know, get into your guy quicker. And just the anticipation of the snap count, everything, the timing's better on, hmm. on everything. But, um, you know, it's, it, it, but it's overall, it, it's, it's the consistency of everybody. You know, I think everybody's been kind of taking their turns this year a little bit, uh, having breakdowns. And that, that's what it takes is, is it's, uh, you know, if it was just one guy, it'd be easy to plug that in and and, and continue on. But um, it's it's everybody. So Talk- and it, it, it is. It's, it, I think it's, it goes back to that um, that that playing time in the preseason. I wish they would have played a little bit more. But then again, hey, everybody was happy at three and one, but everybody's miserable at three and two. <laughs> yes, they are. So let me ask you something about the the fact that they have a young quarterback. And a very young or inexperienced quarterback, young experience, young inexperienced quarterback, young and a new center, and they both have to see the same thing. They're calling out different, the same signals. They have to see the same thing, call out their own signals to the offensive line and to right. the, the entire team. Is that something? If that's a problem, if they couldn't understand, and now getting back to being on seeing the same thing, James Daniels and Mitch Trubisky, is that something Cody Whitehair could do from the guard position? Is that something they think about? 
or am I overrating the whole the whole point of them seeing the same thing at this point? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I being an ex center and stuff, um, I always thought it was kind of overrated getting up there and and the signals where you point out basically the center. I mean, it's just point out the the middle linebacker. You know who who's going to be the middle linebacker and. Mm-hmm. Um, as a player, personally, I I couldn't care less. They wanted always me to call out the strength of the formation. I remember thinking, hey, why do I care what the strength of the formation is? And I asked my Dick Stansfield that. He goes, well, you may not care, but your your tackle may want to know, or your guards may want to know. I said, all right, I get that. So, <laughs> but but I, I think but when we called our signal, everybody communicated on the offensive line. So I think that to put it on the center or something like that, I think that's I, that's always a little little strong, I think. I think it, everybody communicates up there. It takes everybody. All right. I'm. I'm. Did, I didn't know. If that I mean, was hey, maybe I was. Maybe I was unique that I did. I didn't want to do it all myself. So I. I don't know. I didn't. Something I'd never really asked other centers. What all did you call out, out up there? We just called out like the middle linebacker. <laughs> there he is. Everybody's pointing at him. You, you. 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 All right. right Before there. we let you go, Jay, right. is there any? Any acceptable result except a Bears victory when you're playing at home against uh, two weeks after getting manhandled by the Raiders and you're facing a Saints team that's missing a Hall of Fame quarterback, a quality running back, and a really good tight end. Is there any acceptable result other than a win? No, they they have to win. I mean, three and two has been miserable. Three and three would be awful. <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 they got they got to win this game. And you're right. It's just with with all those guys that are out. But I'll tell you, Sean Payton's a great coach. He, he's he he can coach a offense up. And the Saints are playing with such a chip on their shoulder from the last couple of years. I, I think they felt like they should have been the Super Bowl the last two years. So it's it's. It's going to be an exciting game. It's, it's, and, you know, Akeem Hicks is just a huge loss to this defense, too. So it'll be interesting to see. All right, Jay, we appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Very enlightening. Very Thank educational. You. Thank you, Jay. That's tomorrow. No, Thank I think the, the WBBM pregame show for the Bears starts in 20 minutes, doesn't it? <laughs> right. That's right. Well, i got to get there before uh, Grody gets there. We, I, I go for the food. You know, he's, he's putting uh, – I got to tell him to get the weight back on. So. Yeah, there you go. All right, thanks, thanks, Jay. We appreciate. Hi, right, guys. Thanks, Jay Hilgenberg, center on the nineteen eighty five Bears Super Bowl team, and he's part of the WBBM Bears pregame halftime postgame team. And mm-hmm. it's really, despite the inevitable, <clears throat> Ron Gleason with Jim Schwantz, who's been on our show, he's on our show recently, and, re- and Jay Hilgenberg, not the inimitable a, Ron Gleason, no, the, the inevitable. inevitable Ron Gleason. It's really, <laughs> it's really quality stuff. I love. I mean, when you have uh, the scores post game show with Hub and Big Cat, and it's really good. But um, that one is the WBBM is also good because we've had Jim Schwantz on. We've had you just heard Jay. They're just former players who will give you a really good view of things, and I'm glad he talked me down off that. I wondered about the James Daniels, James Daniel, Chase, is it Daniels? Daniels, 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 Daniels. is yeah. he plural? And yeah. the quarterback Give him singular. the S, give him the S. And, He's bigger, he and gets the, an S. And the young quarterback, and, and do they have to see the same thing? Are things getting screwed up? And so there you go. See, he thought it was overrated. And there it is. That's good. So, And he also thinks, he tends to side with the idea of, if you 
base everything around the whole idea that quarterbacks got to get better and you're catering to them. Everybody else who's trying to do their job and win a Super Bowl feels like you're misguided in that target. And that can be a problem in that locker room. And that's what I was talking about earlier. Yeah, he was with you. He was with you on it. We have to take a break. Hey, Chef, how you doing? That's Chef. Chef is now producing our show. Hi. Withers is left. Chris Dickens. Hello. I didn't know why. Why are you Chef? I was a chef for 12 years before I did this. Oh, that'll do it. Yeah, he's chef. Yeah. Chef? I can't do it really in a in a South Park voice, but he's chef. All right, um there we were discussing the offensive genius for the Bears. I do want to I do want to come back with my thoughts on an offensive genius. And when we come back, you have a baseball moment that you wish to share with the class. The moment of the game last night, and it was really cool on uh on some levels uh, about the people as much as the game. All right, we'll do the football thing later. Um, Grody will be here. We'll do that at 1 o'clock. Um, let's talk baseball. There's much to discuss. Cool. He's Matt Spiegel. I'm Steve Rosenblum. Saturday suckage, but you kind of figure that out. Um, I guess. Wait, how can I call Kamara a quality text line? Call a quality running back. He's top five. Isn't that quality? What yeah. am I missing from that? No. Quality uh, running back. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't understand the five. concept of quality. When you say quality. Well, he's in the 815. You know, he could be one of the Waken Bakers. And we have a lot of Waken Bakers. The WB Club exists big in the 815. He's not quality, man. He's top five. <laughs> okay. All right. Saturday suckage. There you go. Chicago Sports Radio is like the score. in the first. And I had Hicks in the hole and just uh, wasn't able to execute really anything. Um, got ahead of him early and had opportunities to, to get a strikeout or do a wee fly ball and just let him right back in the count and then hung him a slider 3-2. Highlight courtesy of Fox. Aaron Hicks' three-run homer off the foul pole. Fair pole off that big yellow thing in right field. And... Uh, Justin Verlander talking about it, and his he wasn't Justin Verlander. James Paxton was Justin Verlander last night. Well, Verlander and was Verlander was after the first inning yes. was Verlander, but for the first yes. inning he was James Paxton. Yeah. If, by, by the way, that number that, that home run we heard that highlight uh-huh. this led to the most amazing piece of data I have come across in baseball in a long, long time. Ooh, tell me, this is the the Hicks home run. That was the second home run in the first inning, right? Right? DJ LeMahieu, yes. ex-Cub, let off of the home run. Yes. And then eventually Aaron Hicks came up and hit that home run, and it's 4-1 to one after the Astros had scored in the first. So the 405th postseason game last night for the Yankees franchise. 405 postseason home runs. This is the franchise of Ruth and Gehrig, DiMaggio and Berra, Mantle and Maris. Yeah. Reggie and Nettles, that is the first time in 405 postseason games that franchise had two home runs in the first inning of a postseason game. That's crazy. That is the most remarkable stat for something so historic that if you were to hear something similar about the Canadians or the Celtics or the Packers, that is so remarkable, so out of my, I I couldn't believe that That was the first time. That is amazing. Yeah. 
So, anyways, that game, and we'll talk about other parts of baseball postseason, led yeah. to you a moment that that you couldn't wait to talk about. Absolutely. And here we are. Um, before, before we get to that moment, how about Verlander on the year? You know how many runs Verlander gave up on the season? 64 earned runs. And they were all on home runs. 36 home runs. <laughs> yes. Yes. He was he did that. There was you know in old did you ever play Stratomatic? Uh no, I never actually did. I did. I'd play and you a would find one. guys who would give like Fergie, Fergie Jenkins would give up home runs, but it would be one spot and it might be a regular spot, but there was only one home run on his three lines of cards. Uh-huh. So he would give up home runs. A lot of guys who threw strikes gave up home runs. Sure. And that was it. And you, you better hit it in the first inning because you weren't going to get any after that. That was the guy. Right, and there wasn't going to be anybody on base when they did it. And there wasn't anybody on base after Justin Verlander gave up that three-run home But you, you want to know why Justin Verlander is so pissed about the juiced ball and is so loud and vocal? It's because when he gives up fly balls, they're usually home runs. So he's like, ah, you know, I'll just strike everybody out instead. And so he struck That's out the whole 300 Astros guys. Staff. Yeah. Three, him and Cole both 300. Do you think... When the Cubs interviewed Joe Espada, mm-hmm. and we need to recount his history and his zelig-like import, touching on all of the important spots in baseball, do you think the Cubs wanted to know more about the Astros' offensive approach or the Astros' pitching approach? I think offense. You do? Yeah, I do. You think Joe Espada had more to do with that? He could give them more information? I don't know. But why do you say that? Well, we talked to Jeff Plum this contact? morning. Yeah. yeah, on Inside the Clubhouse. Yeah, because of contact. Because, you and Bruce. Yeah, because the Astros are winning the contact battle, not just with pitching. I think we know why they're winning it with pitching, because they have a lot of swing and miss pitchers, and they use their version of the pitch lab to dial in what these guys are good at, and the Cubs are starting to figure that out. They're, they're, they're trying to sign guys who have better stuff and catch up that way, and they're also developing certain guys like Rowan Wick or Brad Wick or even Kyle Ryan. Or John Wick. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Pick a Wick. <laughs> um, but yeah, that but, used to be a skating rink in Burbank. I, I think they believe that they can, they can catch up with the pitching game. I think they used to believe some things really? wrong. I, I, I well, just keep more, finding swing and miss guys more than the hitting game. Well, and also it, it, it use their best stuff. I mean, seriously, Rowan Wick and Brad Wick on their own as stories are worth dissecting. But Kyle understand. Ryan was the first one, right? Kyle yep. Ryan was they sign with us. We know what we can do with you. Like they Correct. broke, they broke him down and uh-huh. showed it to him, right? And said. Here's how we make you better. And he said, wow, you guys put a lot of thought into it, uh-huh. right? And that's why he came here. Right. Came and, Ro- and Rowan Wick, they taught him a curveball last year. And they added that curveball with his four-seam fastball. And that, that's, that's the modern thing. That, that's what's going on right now to combat the launch angle. That's why Rowan Wick is good. But hitting-wise, how the Astros have had their own guys get better at contact is something that is incredibly difficult to teach. And figure out. So you think that was the greatest point of of information to as they're peppering Joe Espada? Yeah, yeah, and and and, and and probably how does it work with you guys in terms of information from front office to manager to players? So it's not overload. Your head's not spinning. Yeah. Head. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you right. deal with humans. So um, let's deal with this. This. Let's get to this moment. This hour on the score is brought to you by Team Hockberg. Visit their new website, 56david.com. That's 56david.com. And the bottom of the hour is brought to you by the Chicago Wolves. At 7 o'clock tonight, the Chicago Wolves host the Rockford Ice Hogs for an Illinois Lottery Cup showdown at Allstate Arena. Get your tickets at ChicagoWolves.com. We are winners. We are the Wolves. So 
Last night, uh, James Paxton was tasked with shutting down the Astros and going as deep as possible because it's four games in four days, and the Yankees' advantage of having a great deep bullpen is lessened by four games in four days. And also, Paxton didn't even get out of the third inning last his first start. Correct. So this is the biggest start of his life, as he said it, the biggest game in my career. First two postseason games helped prepare me for this. They're down 3-1, got to win or you're done. Mm-hmm. So get back to Houston. He uh, it was bumpy the first couple innings and then settled in and was terrific. He's in the sixth inning. He gets one out in the sixth on a hard line drive to right field. Then he gets a strikeout, his ninth And then he's got one more batter in order to get six, and it's Robinson Chirinos, the catcher, the number eight hitter of the Astros. And at this point, Aaron Boone comes out of the mound, comes out of of the dugout and heads towards the mound. When um, Paxton says that when he saw Aaron Boone not make the motion right away to the bullpen, Uh he thought to himself, ooh, I have a chance to win this discussion. (laughs) I can make a case. I can make a case. I'm going to be given a chance to make my case. Here's what it sounded like. I thought Joe Buck nailed the the, the atmosphere of the moment, but here's what it sounded like because then he, he is left in, faces Chirino, so hits it like two inches from being a home run. Well, Aaron Boone is making a slow walk out there, and this crowd is almost pleading with Boone to leave Paxton in. And he will. Torino's hits it in the air to left. Back at the wall. It is caught. Wow. Torino's drives it to the wall and left. Oh, so close for the Astros. It was awfully close. And but it was an out and he got through six and he was done. And they went to Tommy Canely and Zach Britton and Aroldis Chapman. And there was zero drama in the final three innings. That was the moment of the game. And I just I, I love when when the pitcher wins that conversation. I'm good. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. I'm good. Let's do it. That was that was right. Reading his lips. Isn't that what he said? I'm good. Let's go. Let's go. Let's effing go. Yeah, okay. And that's all That's all Boone needed to hear. Boone said after, um, I just wanted to get a look at Gary and at Pax to see if he had a little bit left because we're pushing him pretty far right there. He had thrown 111 pitches at that point. So he goes out and, and checks it out. And of them in the first inning. <laughs> first two. I felt like if he could execute, we liked the matchup. So as he walks out there and Boone's just staring at him, he doesn't even have to say anything, Pax goes, Paxton goes, I'm good. Let's go. Let's F and go. And Boone's like, okay. All right. Man, turn <laughs> Game over. All right. He and turned around and walked back. Good chat. Yeah. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> yeah, the guys look at, and there oh. couldn't be anything more antithetical to analytics or metrics and anything more to the, 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 the relationship of managing numbers, decimal points, and human beings. Yeah, that's the whole than, thing. Than that. This and is you, the gig. And, and you... You really, t- it's a huge risk for Aaron Boone. Absolutely. To go out there and to have to say later, this is what my guy, let's say the ball's five feet farther. Sure. Right? Gone. Okay. Aaron, why did you leave him in? Well, he told me he was good to go. I looked in his eyes and I saw that both the catcher and the pitcher thought he was good to go, right? Yep. 
in this era of data mining and this era of, of, of a, you just discussed the head spinning amount of data a manager yes. must have. And this is, this is gut and eyes. And what do my eyes tell Th- me? This is why the job still matters so much. And it's still so interesting to me because, yep. because in the end, Theo Epstein could sit upstairs and say, let me insert Jason Hayward's numbers into my leadoff spot. But it's not just his numbers that you're inserting. It's his brain and his heart and his anxiety level that you're inserting into the leadoff spot. Same with Kyle Schwarber. Mm -hmm. And these guys have admitted now they've been wrong about leadoff. Because guess what? Like closer, leadoff is a mental job. Yes. It is is an emotional and mental challenge unlike any other spot in the lineup. And you have to, it, you end up having to admit that when you see experiment after experiment at different times with different guys fall flat. You need a guy who wants that gig and can handle that gig. So the manager still matters. That's a concession to, to all of your numbers, your metrics, your briefcase full of decimal points when you have to say, when you have to talk mindset mm-hmm. because it doesn't work. You're exactly right. We're just going to. Put those numbers in. Oh, not, this guy should be able to do that. That's not what happens. Right. And it, it, it's just... It's, Latroy Hawkins, as great as he was in the eighth inning, the ninth inning was... That was quicksand. Everybody it, believes it now. Even the smartest guys in the game, everybody understands that the last three outs are the toughest because it's it's a bigger challenge. They're whether not they're, just random or no, garden variety. No, and nobody... No, that's not even disputed anymore. So why is leadoff man... We, there's been such a... While while the absence of Dexter Fowler has made this more acute, that he had the right approach, uh-huh. and yet the Cubs, the Cubs, you think Theo is admitting he's finally coming around to we need the guy who can handle that mentally and provide the numbers, can do the decimal and can do the mental, can do the mental approach. and consistently have the good deep at bats and not get screwed up if he fails. That's and right. Anthony not, Rizzo is the best leadoff man on the roster. That's why. Yes, that's why. Because Zobrist or Rizzo are mm-hmm. the two guys that have have had the most success. Because Rizzo is is not is unshakable. He's nonplussed in those situations, uh-huh. and it, it's remarkable. And that's so why I wanted them to sign. Bryce Harper or Manny Machado. I wanted the Cubs to get a middle of the lineup hitter so Rizzo could be their leadoff man. Yeah, it, I if, think that would have changed everything. If they don't year. get a prototypical one next year, then it should be Anthony. And I don't care if he's slow. I don't care it, because because he is the only one on that team who has shown you the the, the mindset to dig it and and be good at it. And okay, so he's gonna you're gonna have some power out of the leadoff spot. Oh well, wouldn't we, that be, that'd be fine. This be a time when you we've heard Theo's. I know, Chef. We got a break, but we're having we're doing a good segment here. So shut up. the The emphasis that Theo and Jed admittedly said they put into offense with their drafting uh-huh. and all of their their farm system, and we're gonna go buy pitching. Shouldn't the idea that Tony Rizzo, Disco Tony Rizzo, be your leadoff hitter? Shouldn't that pay off now and in this case with all of the emphasis you put on your offensive grooming in the in the the lower levels? Yeah, well, the problem is that they they uh, they went for a certain type of offensive hitter too much, and now that type of offensive hitter is countered by the rest of the league. That's the problem. Is is that they have too many guys who are all game planable because they're similar. So they need diversification, which is why Castellanos and Zobrist made such a big difference as soon as they got back. Okay. All right.
All right. We'll take a break. We we apologize for um, having some semblance of intelligent talk. No, I really like that. And you know what? There's some stuff. Do you have a World Series rooting interest in this? I don't. I do. Okay. I do. I would like to hear it. Okay. I'll give you mine. We'll talk about this next. Uh, Saturday Suckage, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Top of the hour on Saturday Suckage, we will talk with Mark Grody. This used to be his show, but he's now just on this show because he's on the sideline for the Bears. Covering the Bears during the week for The Score, which is the radio station you have, stick it in your ear. Saturday Suckage with uh, Matt Spiegel, Steve Rosen. We talk about you have a favorite for the World Series. You have a rooting interest. This question came up this week I, with somebody else I will share with you. But I wanted to get your thoughts on that. You have We know it's the Nationals. And by the way, yeah. incredible stat time by the Nationals. They trailed by three runs in the NL wildcard game and came back to win. They trailed by three runs in the NLCS against the Doyers. They came back to win. The first team in MLB history to come back from three runs or more when facing elimination twice in a single postseason. That's quite a thing. That's a scary damn thing. Do you have a World Series favorite in the American League? Um, a favorite, like who who I want you to want win? to see face the Nacionalistas. I want to see the Astros because they're state of the art. It's a, that's the state of the art organization, and um, I would well, like. But to... if the Yankees beat them, are they really state of the art? Yes. Well, no. Yeah, they are. No, they're sure. not. Oh no, you know, Steve. A seven-game series doesn't decide which organization. So which organization is the is the healthiest and strongest? Every level, every affiliate, at every level of the organization for the Astros last year led their league in strikeouts per nine innings. True fact. True fact. I did not know that. That's last year. I haven't Where's checked this year. The data mining going on on Saturday suckage Dude, is endangering the whole name. Think, think about That's that. That's an unbelievable thing. Every affiliate at every at in every pitching. level led their league in strikeouts per nine innings. That's last year. God, I can't wait to see what the Cubs buy from the Astros staff because <laughs> that's the way Theo and Jed have planned things. Well, uh, you know, so anyway, and 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 hitting wise, they've they've got some development figured out. And so anyway, but also, you know what I want to see. I want to see Scherzer and Strasburg and Verlander and Cole. Come on! That's exactly what I brought up. Come on! I had this discussion this week at my Trader Joe's with Bradley Brewer, who's really is, is he's looking at this whole dairy case and it's like trying to parse the Large Hadron Collider and try to figure out what he's doing. Yeah. But then he finally breaks from this serial killer look and he talks about who the Cubs are going to hire for manager and we talk about, I said, so who are you rooting for in the AL, knowing that he has the, the whole White Sox leanings, you don't know who to hate, in the right? Who mm-hmm. should love? Should And he said the Yankees, because it kind of seemed like an underdog to him. <laughs> I said, I don't believe I've ever seen that in a Yankees profile. And I said, here's what, here's what I want. I want, and a White Sox fan should understand this, I want Verlander against Scherzer. I want the heart of the Tigers lineup that was supposed to be forever and vex the White Sox in the World Series for two different teams. And and I, I wanted the Astros to win because the Nationals are already there. And for the same reasons, maybe different dance partners, but I want Verlander against Scherzer. And then I went back and looked it up on Fangraphs. And I said, I... 
I know the answer is Clayton Kershaw. But if you, in Hall of Fame thinking, was he the best player at his position? Of, is it the dominant pitcher of his era? And I went back to 2009 to 2019. Mm-hmm. And I looked at just pitcher war. I lined it up as pitcher war. For whatever you think of that, whatever you think I'm leaving out, I started okay. with that. So that's 11 years, right? So one more than a decade. Which is pretty much, right. A, a decade, you know, an era could be longer than a decade. could be less. Maybe I leave it at that. Mm-hmm. And it, it, if you were to guess the top three, give me your order. The top three in pitcher war over the last 11 years. Yes. Um, Verlander won. Scherzer and Kershaw. All right, maybe, Kershaw is one. Okay. Is Granky 63.2. Verlander's two at 62.2. Wow. One behind him. And Scherzer's third. Okay. At 57.7. Grinky at 50.3. <laughs> Chris Sale, 42.8. Because, wow. So and you Sale have, started a couple years have into that. Verlander and Kershaw separated by one. One win. Over those eleven years, that's amazing. That's and and I really wanted to make the case when I was talking with Bradley Brewer about the Verlander as the pitcher of his era, and I like I went to war. I said I really don't see how it's anybody but Kershaw. And I here's why I lean towards Verlander is he won, he won. He's been to he's. Like Kershaw, I went to World Series and lost, but he went to World Series and he won. And yes, uh, and um, yes, and he's also he's had incredibly great postseason moments, whereas Kershaw has not. Yes. He's, Kershaw's had one great postseason moment coming out of the bullpen to help finish off the Nationals in a five game series. I think that's all. The last time he came out of the bullpen, he finished off the Dodgers because he's not that. <laughs> no, he's <laughs> that's not. right. He's not that Kershaw no, anymore. He's not. Um, but Verlander, it's funny because like, gotta be five six years ago, I started calling Verlander the Nolan Ryan of his generation, and it's that is only that has aged better and better. Because he went to Houston, which is funny. So now when he pitches, Perfect. Nolan Ryan is usually sitting in row, row one behind the plate. And not giving him noogies. But he he's also has three no-hitters. So he's one of very few guys to have three no-hitters or more. Nolan Ryan, I believe it, eight? Seven? Seven. 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 And like seven one-hitters. Yes. Yeah, Nolan Ryan. And also, Kersh- or Verlander at this age is throwing as hard as ever right now. Here's what scares me about that, because we saw this with Roger Clemens, how he got so good later on. I want to believe it's all legit, and and I wanted to believe it with Clemens. We found out not. I want to believe it's all Kate Upton, that that's the strongest drug that Verlander's taking. Yeah. And I want that to be the case. I will not be surprised if it's otherwise, but I'm giving him – I know I'm supposed to – I am skeptical. I'm cynical, but I loved Verlander from the start. I just love the attitude. I love the way – that, that whole young Detroit pitching staff yeah. with, with with Scherzer and Verlander and Nate Bo- uh, Jerry Bonderman, I mean, and Nate was a Bloomquist, whatever they, whatever. I forgot about him, right? And there was, I just loved that they, what they could be, yeah. And Verlander was just, it was all fury. And I thought, yeah, got And so I really want this to. Ha- I really love the guy. Here's the thing about Ver- Verlander, and I talked to somebody in in a front office of a big league club once at a poker table. You would have enjoyed it, Steve. <laughs> and, and, and I said, so why do some arms survive and thrive into their late thirties, and some guys just fall apart? And he said, you really want to know the answer? I said, yeah. And he said, who the hell knows? There we go. 
There you go. That's it. And that's the, the some guys have it and some guys don't. That's the two hundred billion dollar payroll question. Uh huh. All right. He's Matt Spiegel. I'm Steve Rosenblum. Coming up next on Saturday, suckage. Mark Grody talking Bears. My friend, Chicago Sports Radio six seventy. The score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s. It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 